Monday, Sandos and the Sidekick back in the saddles. We bring you another exciting episode, the season preview edition for ETSU men's and women's basketball and the premiere of the greatest thing we've ever invented, bold predictions. Mike Gallagher. Yeah, instead of doing Southern Conference previews for men's and women's basketball, as I tease a little bit late in the show on Friday, we're going to save that for, I suppose, a rainier day. It's so difficult right now to preview anything that's more than a day or two away, as we found out over the weekend with the Gulf Coast Showcase, where it started at an 18 field, I believe, and as of Monday at about 9.22 a.m., we're down to five. And one of those I'm extremely upset about. Uh, now, I understand totally why they're not going down to Florida. Um, obviously, you have to put health first, and some schools in some states are placing a higher uh, emphasis, I guess, on uh, that and taking less of a risk, whatever you want to say. Uh, but we're not getting to Akron, um, the Zips. Uh, so Akron I was excited to see as well because isn't that John Gross who used to be Illinois and Ohio? Uh, Ohio. A lot of Buck fans may remember when he came into the uh, Mini Dome back in the uh, early days of the CIT and got uh, waxed pretty good from uh, Justin Tubbs, Mike Smith. Go ahead. Yeah, I just was excited to see Akron. Uh, Indiana State and East Carolina, kind of so-so on that. But uh, Akron definitely was excited to see what they were going to bring. Um, you know, Middle Tennessee has been down the last couple of years, so I don't know if they do a lot for me now. Um, really, game one, and we'll talk about all the teams, uh, not in tremendous depth because we don't know who ETSU is going to play at on Thursday and Friday. And, I mean, heck, after the cancellations over the weekend, I'm not sure if we're gonna, even going to get three games. You'd think we still would because there are five teams still, but it's tough to tell. Um, so disappointed about Akron, um, Indiana State, East Carolina, meh, but we're down to five teams, long story short, and uh, it starts with ETSU, Abilene Christian, 11 a.m. on the Buccaneer Sports Network, 10.30 pregame with you, Jay Sandos, the voice of the Bucks. Allegedly, but we will, we will see. We will see. I uh, have to get on a plane tomorrow. We will know, uh, I believe, by close of business today. I do know the tournament is trying to add uh, one to three teams, and they're in contact wow. with uh, several, some of the rumored, not confirmed, but rumored Florida Gulf Coast, Southern Miss, uh, I can't remember the third off the top of my head, but two of the three um, that they were trying to get three they thought uh, could possibly make it happen. The truth is if they got one, you could just do a couple of pods and then you still got three games in and, you know, two games against two teams and then just try to figure out maybe teams had the same record, flip a quarter, who cares as long as you get three games in. Right. I think for the teams, the tournament bracket format, doesn't matter. I think they want to get three games in. I, th- I think if you talk to the teams, sure, if you won the tournament, great. But if you just got three games and three and zero, oh, I mean, and another team managed to you didn't play them, they went three and zero. Oh, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, I think if you could get the three games in, I think ultimately that's what the teams wanted to do. The question is if there's just five, and if you get six again, you can make that happen. If you're at five, uh, I'm not sure unless you add extra days how you get that third game in. Um, you know, you could play a couple days and a day off, and some one team may have to sit the first day and play three straights, and may get to take two off. I don't know if teams are committed to staying the extra time. I don't know the teams that left, if they forfeited some money, if there's money to help teams out. Am I going to have to stay extra two days? I, I mean, there's just a lot of unknown, and I kind of feel like this is, this is it. This is 2020, right? This is what's going to happen. You better be ready to adjust your schedules. If you had plans to sit down 11 a.m. at work and tune into the radio, just know things will change throughout the year that the schedule as is is probably not going to make as proven by everything we've seen, college football and, and it being an outdoor sport and what they're doing and now college basketball. Certainly it's going to have uh, some trial and tribulations and schedule changes. I'm uh, 
not hoping this is the case, but I'm very prepared for it being the case. I usually put out the show right after we record it, so today it'll probably be about uh, you know, 10.30, 10.45, and it could be dated by that time. I mean, it really could. Could, there, could, could do an emergency 15-minute exactly. uh, episode just to fill you in on what we know. The postscript or, like, the just cut out a segment, put in a new segment. I have no idea how we would do it, but uh, certainly may have to get that done because things are ever-changing so rapidly, and... I uh, was excited for the field. I'm still excited for the field, though. I, I mean, this Abilene Christian team is one that, you know, we've not talked about here on air. And if you watch the Facebook Live um, at Freedom Hall Tuesday, that was last Tuesday, six days ago, this is going to be very different from that. We kind of did a get-to-know-the-coaches, um, Greg Heyer, Turner Battle, Matt Wise, uh, and, of course, uh, head coach Jason Shea, um, all of them being new to either ETSU or their positions, this is going to be much more break down the nuts and bolts and really dive deep into the roster, uh, things that we didn't have a chance to do a whole lot, and then break down a little bit that Abilene Christian matchup, because uh, if we want to talk about teams that are moving in the right direction around mid-major basketball, Abilene Christian certainly is, and that being said, I'm not sure that this weekend and late week is going to be so much about the opponent or either ETSU men's or women's basketball, and we're talking women's basketball in segment number two, and breaking down their game against Longwood and talking about um, the roster, newcomers, etc. We did a little bit more of that on the Facebook Live Thursday at Brooks Gym for women's basketball, but here on Sanders and the Sidekick, uh, we, we haven't really talked about it much. So we're going to be doing that, then bold predictions, as Jay said. Um, I, I'm just very interested to see this roster. I, I don't know if I really care so much about even really the wins and losses out of the weekend. Obviously, you want to win every game that you play, and it's going to be good to just get games in. It'll be really telling to see against this competition what this roster can do because this is, um, in terms of Abilene Christian and, and you know Austin P and um, maybe even a little bit Omaha, you know where you're probably going to be this year in terms of preseason projections, right? Like you and me both think that this team has a very high ceiling. Now, that being said, there's a lot of moving parts. It takes time for things to gel. And in a year like this where you don't have nearly as much time or as much structure as you've had in years previous, it makes it more difficult to be able to put all new pieces in place or the majority of new pieces in place and get on the right page right away. I think this is going to be a very introspective week, weekend from ETSU women's ba- or men's basketball and women's basketball. What can you do? Where are you? Um, yeah, how do you match up against this competition? But what do you need to improve on with this group? And is it a group that you can work with to be extremely successful, maybe not to the extent you were last year, but certainly contend for a Southern Conference title? I think this is just watching individual work on stuff. This is a talented team as ETSU has put on the floor. The question is, though, how does individuals work as a team? Right. And that's obviously the difference last year, right? They played together, played for one another, unselfishness, you know, everyone kind of doing their part, shared the glory, um, you know, shared the blame when it needed to be. It, it'll be interesting to see how this team able to gel because unlike Abilene Christian, who returns eight of their top nine players, they did lose their leading score, but the next eight players that played and scored in average minutes are all back. I mean, that's a team that is that is ready to play as a team. Maybe they need to find who the guy is. But other than that, they're playing as a team. And it's the exact opposite. Out of the top ten guys for ETSU, one has seen the floor, and it was sparingly in Vonnie Patterson, who did show some signs of playing well defensively, can rebound the basketball. He's not going to be a prolific scorer, but that's your one main returner coming back. So it's just it's going to be a tale of two different teams. Again, assuming they play Abilene Christian on Wednesday if everything stays the course the way it is right now. So it'll be very interesting. I will say this. I just jotted down as we're talking because I don't think people are aware of maybe the positions that guys are playing. Now, I think this is a team, again, because there's such new names. You may not even know the position everybody's playing. I was going to say, are we aware? I I mean, I've I've heard some lineup combinations. If I looked at the roster, I never would have expected. Yeah, and, and I will say, just like we saw Coach Forbes the last two years in the roster build, he could go big, he could go small, he could play traditional. Now, generally, they like to start traditional, whether it's Coach Forbes or Coach Shea. That being said, the two point guards that, that are really true point guards are David Sloan uh, is obviously the first. He got, in, in case you didn't tune in Friday, he did get his waiver, his Huge. appeal. He's coming back. And Marcus Nightblack are the two true point guards. That doesn't mean other guys can't handle the ball and can't play the point. 
but traditionally that's what they are. Truth Harris more of a shooting guard. He'll back up Sherelle Smith at the, the two position of the shooting guard. Small forward, you're looking at Ladarius Brewer and Damari Monsanto. Then Bonnie Patterson at the four, Ty Brewer also at the four. And then you're looking at Silas Adecki and Richard Amafule at the five. And really Paul Smith, Charlie Weber, you know, are listed probably under the five. Or Smith the five, maybe Weber more of a four. But the truth is the fours and the fives can play. The other combination I've heard Coach say is if he really wanted to go big, he could put Ladarius Brewer at the one, Damari Monsanto at the two, Ty Brewer at the three, Levani at the four, and Nadecki at the five, and your smallest man on the floor is your four-man, which is quite laughable. So it just shows something. And they could go small. They could go uh, uh, Night Black Smith Harris at the one, two, three. They could even move L.A. to the four. They could move Damari down to the four. You know, and then play uh, Amafule or something like that, or or get a little more athletic. And and it, you know, if you haven't seen Charlie Weber, he is a little bit of a freak athletically. So Charlie could could fall in that mix, especially when you look at some pressing situations and such. So that's sort of a positional breakdown. If you were just to say lineup, we need team one, we need team two, we need to fill these slots. That doesn't mean that there won't be interchangeable parts because let's be honest, most twos and threes and. Um, and ones can all be interchangeable, fours and fives interchangeable. And, then again, you know, in, in the league that we play in in Southern Conference, there's a lot of teams that just go four guards. And so you have to be able to maybe play Sloan, Smith, Harris, Ladarius, one, two, three, four, and, and then a big man or not even a big man. Vonnie Patterson could play the five because, again, somebody like Citadel doesn't play traditional, so you may have to do it. So that's the one thing about the roster, I think, that, again, is intriguing is that they can – kind of move all over the map with different positions but if you were to write down um, and I did, I had Coach write this down so I didn't just make this up on the fly uh, I like sound smart but I, I did have Coach Shea write this on the whiteboard for me to say if you were to write out positions absolutely this is, you know, and so he did and then he obviously said there's many things we can do but I, I think that that's what's going to help this year is that they'll be able to find different combinations and the depth is what always Steve Forbes has prided himself on. Our depth will beat people because we're not just the starting five. We'll be able to go. The second thing is is, is scoring punch. He's always liked Coach Forbes and Jason Shea have talked about having points coming off the bench, whether it was their time at Tennessee together, whether it was at Northwest Florida, whether it's been at ETSU. And by not playing Ty Brewer, which I think a lot of people just already had penciled in, or Damari Marsanto, who is absolutely shooting the lights out of the ball right now, I think there's something to be said to make sure that you have a couple of scores coming off the bench so there's no drop-off between the ones and twos. And even though, again, everyone will sort of intermingle, but that first group of substitutions, at least, uh, to me, they can even average more points than maybe the starting group. So the starting group gets you off a good start, and then all of a sudden you come off with some punch off the bench. And most teams in the league cannot match that punch off the bench. I think it comes down to what Jason Shea wants to do because you're right. There's so many different combinations, and I think every year you find a new like dream scenario where you have your exact five that you want on the court. On the court, and generally it doesn't happen very often. What was that second lineup that you gave me with Brewer at the four? Because that's the one for me. Was it oh, that, so Ladarius that, at the one? A, yeah, Demar uh, at the two. two. Ty's at the Test three. The three, sorry. And Vonnie's at the four. Vonnie's at the four, and then Silas is at the five. Yeah. That, to me, just sounds like a hilarious and amazing time. And I think that lineup could just man-on-man. Man, I'm not saying it's a team, right, because there are going to be a lot of questions there, and uh, it's a team that is obviously not experienced together, but there is a lot of experience when it comes to, you know, the freshmen that are coming in that may be asked to do a lot, like a Truth Harris, like a Marcus Nyblack. Now, they're probably going to be asked to do less because you have David Sloan now, which, again, I think – just for a steady hand at the wheel that has been at a larger school that comes with very high acclaim and has shown at least, I think, compared to the others. Comparatively, I'm not sure this is going to match up once you get into the heart of Southern Conference play or some of these better mid-major teams or Power 5 teams, but comparatively versus Truth Harris and Marcus Nyblack, David Sloan is the one that you want out there handling the ball. And Jason Shea said as much in our Facebook Live with him six days ago. He he said he just wasn't sure, and he said that to you on the coaches' show as well. And by the way, the ETSU coaches' show tonight at 6 o'clock from Wildwood Cafe, Jason Shea and Brittany Azell will both be on. But he said as much to you. Do I feel comfortable in my first year as a head coach with an entirely new coaching staff and a roster that graduated their top eight scorers or their top eight scorers left in one form or fashion, do I feel comfortable turning that over to a true freshman? He may not have had a choice without David Sloan. You know, we can go the Ladarius route with him with the one, so that, that could have been 
uh, the loophole on hearing me talk. Of course, I would have loved that, right? But now he's got options, especially with David Sloan. And so I look at this roster and say, what do you want to do, Jason Shea? Do you want to put your best five players on the floor right away? Do you want that to be your starting lineup? Or is it going to be a bit more strategic? Are you going to have those different units that can do different things? Something we talked about with PTSU Women's Basketball on our Facebook Live on Thursday. Is it going to be your top five, or is it going to be a mix and match, what you think gels, works best together, and gives you different things in terms of their skills, right? One that's probably not all scoring, one that's probably not all defense, but a mix. Are you going to have that rebounding, scoring, the ability to take the ball away, ability to run the floor, lock down, press, whatever you want to do? It seems like a coach like Jason Shea, an X's and O's guy, one of the better X's and O's guys, knows the game of basketball so well, not only in the region, but you know in the country, one of the better around. It seems to me that he's probably going to have that punch off the bench that you talked about. Maybe not put the Brewers together, because if you look at this roster right now, I would project those two as the top scorers for ETSU. With Damari Monsanto, probably a close third, and you could probably flip Ty and Damari if you'd like. Um, I would think it's going to be the Brewers, then Damari, and those are probably your three double-figure scorers. Now that you have David Sloan eligible, is he someone that you can give nine or ten um, in that starting lineup as well? So could he be a fourth? Uh, and, and then after that, it's going to be guys that just need to step up and need to be better than they have in the past in terms of scoring the basketball because when you graduate your top eight scorers, uh, it leaves a lot of opportunity there but also a lot of question mark. Can Silas Hideki be someone that is six or seven or eight points a night? Sorrell Smith, what is he going to be able to give you? Obviously, he comes over from Maryland, didn't get as much opportunity there. I think he's got a lot of promise, though, as well. I'm a Foule, um, being you know a freshman. What can he provide? I think there's going to be ample chance for him as well, along with Silas Hideki up front, uh, to be able to you know, give, um, I- I'm not sure if it's Jerome Rodriguez or uh, Lucas Goussaint level of offensive prowess. Um, and, of course, you know, with Jerome, it was more uh, you're cleaning it up, you're at the basket. Um, it, you're not really running sets for that person. He's going and getting his own, where Goussaint, he had kind of that diverse offensive skill set, uh, maybe lacked in a few other areas. Just going to be very different this year. It's going to be touch and go. Uh, or you're going to have to figure it out as you go, as we're figuring it out here um, as we go into the Golf Coach Showcase with ETSU Men's Basketball. Um, like you said, so much talent and promise, but how quick can that all be put together? Uh, thankfully, there is still you know five weeks until Southern Conference play. Uh, this week is going to be a great chance to get the measuring stick out and say, How far do we need to come before that day is here with Southern Conference action? Um, Huge to have David Sloan in the lineup. I think that was the best news the ETSU men's basketball uh, could have possibly hoped for coming up to the season. Now, there is is a tie for for a couple of guys because David Sloan, there was some, uh, uh, what's the word, Coach Forbes, like the (laughs) cross-pollination because David Sloan was at John A. Logan with Vonnie Patterson, with uh, Devontavious Payne, so... There's a little bit of familiar, uh, familiarity, at least with some players, so they've been able to at least been on the floor before. Here's something I think when you look back at the team and you look at some numbers, and I think there was obvious room for improvement, is free throw shooting. And it's hard to say that just if you look at one line, which is what was the percentage as a team for the year, which I think was right at 70% of 69 point something. But the problem was the three guys taking the most, two of those guys were under 60%. And so when you look at that number, to me, that, that's huge because Bo Hodges, you know, just he, for whatever reason just could not figure out the free throw line in his career. He could figure out shooting everywhere else. He just could not figure out the free throw line. And Isaiah Tisdale, probably the one thing I would say, though, if you took Isaiah Tisdale last five minutes of a game free throw shooting and separated, I think he was better. Definitely. I didn't have enough time to look that up, uh, mainly because I just thought about it right now. But um, – I, I would like to believe, at least in my mind, it seemed like he hit key free throws very late in the game. He struggled throughout the game. So I'm wondering if ETSU, if they get guys to the free throw line more, and, and those being guys that drive to the hoop, which is Sherelle Smith, Ladarius Brewer, David Sloan, all three of those guys, and Ty Brewer, all go to the rim extremely well. If all those guys can get to 100 free throws, which I don't think is that out of control, you know, ETSU, I think, had three guys last year. Well, if you get those four guys getting to a, the 100 free throw attempt mark 
and those guys, all four, can get to 70%, I think you can snake an extra seven, eight points a game if, if you look at it throughout the season. Um, and that, to me, could be a, a big difference from last year. Now, the one thing you do lose, I don't know there's too many big men that shoot the free throw as good as Lucas Gasson. I mean, just his shooting stroke, he'd shoot three. Now, Salah Sadecki, don't be confused, he'll take a few threes. And he can shoot he can from out there. Yeah. And he can get hot from the free throw line. But he's a little bit of a streaky guy as a post player. I've not seen enough of uh, Amafule or Weber in game action to know about th- those post players, obviously with Harrison now Black, the freshman coming in. Monsanto, I've seen shoot free throws. It seems like he's okay and, and comfortable at the free throw line, but he's not been game action either. And, <clears throat> and sometimes shooting free throws, you know, once you get the adrenaline going, once you get some contact, once there's some other things going – Score pressure, wasn't that the popular term we, we learned over the last few years? You know, how are they doing with score pressure? And so it would be interesting to see free throws from the, the big men. And I know Monsanto isn't technically a big man, but he is an X factor in the fact that uh, he could have an opportunity to shoot some free throws. But I think the four guys that go to the rim that I've seen this year, if they can get to 70% from the free throw line, all four of them, uh, or at least some sort of combination where maybe a couple of guys are in the upper 70s and one guy's maybe at 68% or something, then I think that can give you some extra points where just looking at the roster as you're rolling down who you thought could score double figures on, it still seems like there's some points out there to be no had doubt. No doubt. And, and to see what the magic number is. Usually when ETSU gets to whole team under 70 points, I think last year they'd only lost a couple of games. So it would be interesting to see you know, if they get to 70, 75 on scoring, what that does for them in the win total. I want to help people out who are just looking at the roster and saying, wow, 16 guys, this is a big roster. I don't know who's going to get all the minutes. There's four walk-ons on this team. Eric Hansick, uh, Ishmael Valdez, Morel Schramm, Jordan Coffin, if that helps you. Not to say they're not going to get minutes throughout the year, but I think looking at those four, how many minutes Jordan Coffin got last year, uh, knowing the guys that we're talking about and have seen in practice, I, I think it's fair to say that it's going to be an uphill battle for those four to be on the floor a lot this year. So that narrows it down to your 12. If you're to pick a top nine, let's say, a rotation of nine, you don't have to say starting line or anything like that. Like That would just basically be guessing at this point. But if you're to say a top nine, who's going to get those minutes? Who's going to be on the floor a lot for ETSU? Who would they be? Top nine, uh, I think Sloan and, and Not Black for sure, Smith and Harris, uh, the Brewer brothers, Monsanto, Vonnie Patterson. Well, let, let, let me backtrack. Nine. Uh, let me uh, Sloan, Smith, Harris, Ladarius Brewer, Monsanto, Vonnie Patterson, Ty Brewer, Adeki, and then got him another big. I'm probably a I'm a Foule. Uh, and and then Nye Black would be the tenth guy um, coming coming in. But I would say top nine. Nye Black might be on the outside looking in again. Some I of think that, Harris, Nye Black, and, and, that and battle will be interesting. Well, and and. And let's just say, you know, taking foul trouble out, that would be my top nine because Smith and Harris and Ladarius, depending on the situation, could bring the ball up the floor for you. And that's why I think Nye Black might be um, a little on the outside looking in the top nine. But my guess is there will be ten guys. Sorrell Smith, by the way, not Paul Smith. Oh, it is. oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Sorrell <laughs> yes. I've seen Paul, I've seen Paul dribble. <laughs> I don't think we need him running the point. Correct, Sorrell Smith. And Paul, boy, Paul's a big dude. He is. If he, he is can huge. figure it out. And, and this could be a great – now, this is where the, the – and granted, everybody that gets the one-year freebie, but a guy like Paul Smith, he could be one of the ones that really, really benefited two, three years down the road because he's got some skill. He's got some size. You know, I think he's just got to figure out the college game. He seems to well, be a bit over He did. He was, and he did play all of that. his uh, almost all of his senior year right. of high school as well. But also you can tell when he gets out there with Silas Sadecki, he gets out there with Ty Brewer and Bonnie Pat. You know, those are 22, you know, 21, 22-year-old grown men, and I think Smith's still trying to figure it out. Um, and, again, some of his personality, right? He's just got to uh, figure out how to get a little bit of a killer instinct and, and mix it up. But I, I think Paul Smith could be tremendous in a few years, uh, again, given the opportunity that he could get a free year this year to play. Depending on everything goes, if you want to redshirt him next year, and, again, he could be a sixth-year guy if he's willing to stay that long and, and could be a stud of the league and be one of your all-time players you'd be talking about. He's got that potential. I'm not saying he, he will. He's certainly got to do some things. But he's got some skill to him that I think if he could figure everything else out, he's going to be really good. But I, I think him and Charlie Weber right now uh, and Nye Black out of the top nine are probably outside looking in. And if they got down the stretch out of all the walk-ons, I think probably Jordan Coffin would be the only – Coffin, excuse me, 
uh, would be the only one that, that might see action. And a matter of fact, I think he might be the only one that's on the travel roster for this tournament. And so uh, probably safe to say he would be going forward if they get to a situation where – and you got to look at it this way. If there's a couple of guys where you're not taking out the whole team but a couple of guys are sitting out, you know, Way and you need to play more, absolutely, other, yeah. then Jordan Coffin could simply be the guy that, that could be plugged in there, again, just because he's been on the roster for a couple of years. And, honestly, he's improved every year he's been on the roster as well. So, this week, Abilene Christian's the first game. Again, that's 11 o'clock Wednesday. 2011 last year, they were 15-5 and five in their league. Now that league is the Southland, right? So, temper your expectations there. Now, that being said, top of the Southland was Stephen F. Austin, who Which everybody remembers everyone. last year from <laughs> the Duke game. But that's a solid program, really, year in and year out. It wasn't just that one well, flash and, of and, and I think ETSU fans specifically remember because they came to Johnson City and played a game uh, in, in that weird three-game showcase. Bef- the Bucks tried out Freedom Hall for three games before they rented the whole building out, mm. and that was one of the three teams that came. ETSU ended up pulling off what at the time was a good win, ended up being a great win because that was a team, I think, that uh, won a game or two in NCAA tournament and rattled off like 22 wins in a row. So Buck fans know firsthand how good Stephen F. Austin's program is. But, yeah, the Re- Sam Houston State, some Lamar. Some, yeah, Big drop-off after. Yeah, agreed. Stephen F. Austin, is, and really that's why you're starting to see the whack uh, try to make a run at some of the Southland teams. And Stephen F. Austin is one of those teams that they are either trying to get make a jump up or the WACs may be looking at doing an FCS league, uh, which is interesting because if they got enough teams to feel one way or another, they could really go either way. But, yeah, I, I agree. But when you return that many starters, that's just a scary part for me because they, they've already played in this – particular year they've already played together the staff's there there's nothing new they know each other know where you're supposed to be know how to communicate know the terminology know what you're trying to accomplish so to me that's going to be a very tough draw for ETSU off the bat and it's not only their starters it's eight of their top nine as you mentioned only three that played last year are not back two pretty lower level role players and then Peyton Ricks was the top scorer Really, their only shooter from outside that did much of anything, leading minutes getter, leader in steals, second in assists. What they really did well last year, Abilene Christian, was force a lot of turnovers, almost 10 steals per game, and they already were playing so much as a unit. They had almost 200 more assists than their opponent. So the fact that they are all back and already seemingly on the same page is definitely something to think about, worry about, and I wouldn't be surprised if, Let's say this game goes to Abilene Christian on Wednesday. If those two, in whatever alternate universe, played again down the road, now, I'm not sure what the status is going to be of any of the CBI, CIT type tournaments this year. Um, even the NIT, we don't, I guess, even know really about the NCAA, right? We're under the assumption that there's going to be the 68 teams, but now it's all in one location, probably Indianapolis, and there's a lot of things still um, yet to be decided there, it seems like. But if you're to have all four of those tournaments, the Field of 68, obviously, and then the NIT, the CIT, the CBI. You could see these two, I think, maybe match up in one of those lower three tournaments. Now, you're probably not going to get that in in the NCAA, right, because of just the makeup of that tournament. Uh, Not to say both don't have the ability to make it, just the matchup itself would probably be pretty unlikely. But if you're to play now versus in three or four months, I think it's very realistic to say, well, Abilene Christian could come out with the win on Wednesday. But if you play in February or March – uh, I think that ETSU is going to be miles ahead of where they are now, and I don't think there would be any question in my mind that they would be the favored team, barring, of course, the unexpected, which we have to live in the unexpected world here in 2020 and 2021. But uh, they struggled from distance last year. If they're a better three-point shooting team, that being Abilene Christian, only 31% last year, they did like to throw it up there. Don't get me wrong, over 600 threes last year. But uh, they really weren't one to knock down a lot of threes. If they've improved that facet of their game, I think this could be a tough matchup for ETSU. I think it'll be a tough matchup either way. I think it's going to be a very good game, as I talked about, a a measuring stick. Um, I think the ball, especially early in the season, needs to be in Ladarius Brewer's hands a lot. And I've bandied about, uh, to anybody that will listen, that I think he needs to get 20 or 25 shot attempts in these first, you know, at least in the first month of the season while you figure out exactly how the team is going to look. Do I picture that happening? Hard to see, Um, but he is, I think, far and away the most gifted player in terms of scoring the basketball on this roster. Uh, There's some athletes that rival him now, including his brother, Ty, who I think is probably the better athlete um, of the two, but Ladarius can get up there as well. 
if he doesn't get that many shots, at least in the you know first few games of the year, first month of the year, whatever it is, um, maybe it's good. Maybe it's a good thing to see who else steps up, You know what Ty can do now. He's in an ETSU uniform. Damari, after sitting last year, you know his, his body has kind of undergone a transformation as well as his approach this year. Um, stepping into game action, how is that going to be? It's always a wild card you know, after uh, more than a year off. So uh, the Abilene Christian game is going to be very interesting, and then you're taking on the winner, at least as of right now, of, um, well, it was going to be uh, Akron and Middle Tennessee State. Don't know what that's going to look like now. Again, Middle Tennessee State won just eight games last year. That's a team that ETSU is better than regardless of how many returners are on the ETSU roster. And then Omaha or Austin P. again, looking at the schedule right now, lined up to play Friday against ETSU. Omaha was a 500 team in the Summit League last year under Darren Henson. They've kind of been that over his nine seasons there. Austin P. is a team that is extremely solid and, and getting better by the day, it seems like. Uh, they challenged Murray State and Belmont for the OBC title. You remember how good that league was last year, how good it seems to be pretty much every season now. They lost in the OBC semis after coming up a game short in the regular season from sharing the conference title. But they've got a couple of dynamic scorers, and Terry Taylor and Jordan Adams, who was the freshman of the year last year in that league, they combined for 39 points per game last year. Uh, and they're getting Reginald G back, uh, who was injured after six games last year, but was looking like he was going to be a solid third scorer, if not second scorer, and he's their best shooter. Uh, he's about a 45% guy from beyond the arc. So there are still some very talented teams in this tournament. Um, the first game is going to be interesting. Second game, if it's if it ends up being Middle Tennessee State, I think for ETSU that has to be a win if you're on trajectory for a top three or four Southern Conference finish this year, as seems to be projected in the preseason coach and media polls. Um, and then you know that Friday game, if, if it's Austin P, I, I am pumped. I don't know if I will have been more pumped for a third game of a tournament, uh, a five-team tournament at least, uh, than that one because those are a couple of premier mid-major programs in the country. And the Gulf Coast Showcase, at that point, will be living up to its name, putting top mid-major programs against each other for kind of a, a view into this level of basketball and how good it can be. I think, the, the, the two, honestly, the two biggest unknowns would be ETSU and Middle Tennessee State. Middle Tennessee State, ton of transfers that set out last year, and a ton of transfers that came in that are eligible. So, you know, it, it, it's easy to look at them and go, well, they're going to be terrible. Well, I will. Yeah, I will. Yeah, but that – People would argue that's the same thing. Now, at ETSU, we are familiar with that. That is how we have built the program last several years. ETSU fans are used to turnover. They can figure it out. Middle Tennessee, Nick McDavid, who's done a great job when he was at UNCA. Buck fans uh, probably remember when he was there. He hadn't been he hadn't been gone that long. But he was Ed Biedenbach for all those years before he took over. So uh, he actually had a distinction of his best three players in a two-year span all transferred up and out. And, and so – he had a couple players, the two freshmen of the years back-to-back leave him, and then another one leave as well. And they went to LSU, Marquette, and I can't remember the third. But they, they went to some pretty you know, uh, pretty uh, high-level programs. And so he's able to get some high-level recruits and able to coach. Now he'll be able to have all these guys and see what it is. But those are the, those are the two unknowns, really, ETSU, Middle Tennessee State. And I don't doubt that Middle Tennessee State can be better than they were. But I'm just looking at you know an ETSU team that I still think is capable of being, you know, 650, 700 winning percentage team. However many wins that's going to be this year, I have absolutely no idea. Middle Tennessee State's coming from a position that is so far removed from success these last couple of years. Yes, they can be improved, but how much further up the ladder can you go from eight wins? Is it, you know, can you get to 500? That would even be success, right? Can you get above that? I mean, then you're talking about one of the best turnarounds in the country if you had eight wins the previous season. So I'm certainly not writing off Middle Tennessee State as a bottom feeder again. But in that game, I don't think there's any question that ETSU should come out the winner. I, I don't think there's any question. Just looking at, you know, yes, where the teams were last year, but how high of an ascension the team can make this year. Yeah, it, it, it will. The first three, if you get three games in, I, I right. think everyone's just excited to see where this is. And I, I would say, if ETSU rattled three games in a row off. You still need to tamper a little bit of expectation. But in the same token, you, you can't, no pun intended, jump off the ship uh, if the Bucks go 1-2, and 0-3, oh something like this early on as they're trying to figure out because you could go back and look at some of the, the early Steve Forbes days again where they got off to a little bit of slow start uh, because they need a little more time to gel, and then they really got it cranking, right? And so I think it's going to, 
to be similar type team. I think, you know, it would be an opportunity where ETSU will be able to, uh, you know, if they get off to a little bit of a, a two and two, a three and two, a, a four and three start, something like that. And once they got into league play, we we know how strong they're going to be in league play. The 2017-18 season is a perfect example of that because he played uh, Silas Decky's Northern Kentucky team. Now, I'm not sure that he was I there at that time, there. but that was the 2017-18 year. And then, of course, he had the Kentucky game about a week after that and played hard for a lot of the game, weren't able to come out with a win. And then Troy, Oof, and all of a sudden you were, you were two and three. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden you were home. two and three, and people were kind of hitting the panic button, and then you rattled off 16 wins in a row and had the longest win streak in the country uh, going up until that UNCG game, of course, I think that was mid-February, where you got a speeding ticket on the way to the game, which obviously was the reason that the Bucks lost. Greensboro grad. Yeah, nothing yeah, was going sure. well for ETSU that day, whether it was Jay Sandos or on the court. So a perfect example of that. All right, this, uh, this transition, we got a lot of women's basketball to talk. I'm just excited for women's basketball. I've been writing down uh, some starting five and some second teams. I'll wow. get Mike Gallagher's thoughts you. on that. So we'll step aside for a timeout. We'll talk a little ETSU women's basketball right after this word from Santa's Sidekick on the Bucket Air Sports Network. The last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Brightridge, new name, renewed promise. Well, Sandus in the second. Oh, there we go. Second show of the year. Clipper McClipperton back with you, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Thought, thought, thought he gave me the, the head nod there. He did not. That's okay. As as usual, I jumped the gun. But we are going to talk a little ETSU women's basketball. We've talked about the men. Now, obviously, the first thing we're excited about is ETSU women's basketball. Knock, I'm knocking on wood isn't going to start with five players on the DL to start the season. And so we'll be a full complementary of uh, players, right? Compliment? Let's try that. Full complement of players? There you go. Uh, as far as I know, and now – At least what we saw Thursday. Keep in mind that there are still some ba- more COVID bump, tests. And there's bumps and bruises. And that, but I'm talking like actual – like, you know uh, – no, no major things that are holding people out for weeks apart. There was going to be a scrimmage on Saturday. Coach Zell opted not to do that because there were a couple of tweaked ankles, you know, a back hurt here and there. You're a week before the season, going to be an unexpected year. I think a wise move by coach. No reason to run them out a week before the year. Have more, again, bumps and bruises, as you said, not serious injuries. But, yeah, I mean, let's just look over the last couple of years. I mean, and just last year in particular, it's easy to pinpoint um, a ton of that. Right? You had a senior class, let's just start there, that had two players that didn't play the entire season. And then you had a point guard, Jada Craig, who, gosh, was she a warrior? Was she tough? She had very little left for that last year because her body just didn't want to give her the time of day. That, that's just how things work. So you had four seniors. The one that played the most was Ariel Harvey, who was a transfer in, and she was strong in her day, right? She was coming off having a child in the summer, the late summer, and so she had to get back into basketball shape. Remember how it was to run up and down a court for, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night, as it turned out to be in her role, and compete at a Division One level. Um, there was just a ton of things that you could foresee and also not foresee with the senior class, and then, of course, everything with Erica Haynes-Overton, and at some points last year, Coach was dealing with seven or eight players. That's, that's all that she had. So... There was a lot going on. That was the case two years ago as well, and it's led to a couple of tough years. And if you remember last year for the final interview of me and Coach Zell during a game, or I should say post-game, um, it was at the Harris Cherokee Center in Asheville, and the Bucks had just lost to, I believe it was UNCG in the first round of the SOCON tournament. It had only put up, I think, 47 or so points. And it was just clear that outside of Ch- the Chattanooga games, and, you know, the rivalry brought out the best in both of those teams. Those were both very close games, one triple overtime, and then the other was the last day of the regular season. It was a four-point game. Outside of that, the other top four teams, ETSU just could not compete with them, whether it was not having enough bodies, whether it was the fact that their best player in the middle of the season decided to go elsewhere. 
um, whether it was the fact that everyone was having to adjust on the fly and fit into new roles and just roll with the punches, really. Um, whatever it was, they just weren't there. This team, to me, Jay, not only from a health standpoint early on, but just looking at a skill level standpoint is a lot further along than even teams in the middle of the season the last couple of years were for ETSU and, and Coach Giselle. Uh, I think this is a deep team, not something that they've you know, previously had in these last couple of years. I think that it's a team that can score from every level. It's a team that has proven experience back. They're returning four of five starters. There's players that are coming in that can score. I love the freshman class. You, know, you and me were both singing their praises both during that Facebook Live on Thursday and off-air talking to Coach Giselle after the fact. Um, there's a lot of different, much like the men, there's a lot of different combinations that Coach Giselle can go with. I think if somebody goes down with injury, it's not all of a sudden, as you've seen the last couple of years, there's nobody behind her. There's nobody to come in and play those minutes and play them effectively. There's no one to play the position that they need to play unless they're going to be playing out of position. That's what you've seen from Amaya Adams the last couple of years. She's been kind of the Swiss Army knife of this team. She's been able to play three or four different positions, and she's done so very valiantly. But it would be nice for her to be able to just focus on doing one thing as the two or as the three. And, yeah, she still brings a lot of versatility to the court, but not have to play four different positions sometimes in the same game. So I think they've got size. I think they've got ability. I think they've got talent. I think they've got scoring. I think they've got scrappers and hustlers that are going to be able to take the ball away and do a lot of different things like an Amaya Adams and Amadi Williams. Uh, Kelly Post, who's a graduate transfer, who originally committed to University of North Carolina, ended up at University of Mount Olive, now is here in the ROTC doing her master's degree and doing ETSU women's basketball. Uh, I think that there is a lot to be excited about with this team, and I'm not sure outside of Erica haynes Overton the last couple of years that you could have said that and felt strong and confident about it going into a season. You, you skipped a word, although you covered it earlier. You didn't say depth, but you covered that earlier by saying, I mean, there's ten people right now I feel pretty confident could step out on the floor and produce. I, I want to talk a little bit about last year and them having trouble and trying to find different things and obviously losing – um, what could have been a, a player of the year type candidate the last five years before last season team average 68 66 65 67 67 last year ended up 58 right so pr- pretty simple to see where they had a hard time winning games because they had a hard time scoring the basketball and so i think getting an extra 10 12 points uh back to the overall and getting them close to 68 to 7 67 seems to be their magic number but 67 to 70 points I think puts them right in contention to pick up an extra five six eight conference wins yeah I said eight um, could, could be there now there's some things that have to happen but this is one of the more experienced teams this is uh, reminiscent I think of maybe her second year uh, of the program where they uh, ended up making it to the uh, championship game against Chattanooga lost in overtime and Really, that was a situation, you know, where you had a lot of players kind of coming back, the Serena Clarks, Maria Bonds, Chandler Crispers of the world. Uh, Tiana Tarter was fresh on that squad, I think, as a freshman that year. So they were able to uh, – Shamari Bridges. So th- it was a loaded team that had its troubles the year before and kind of slowly figured it out through the year. I think this is a situation that could. I think having – Amaya Adams play all those positions last year will be great because that adds to just, okay, do I need to plug and play here? You know, if maybe some some games the freshman the moment's too big for them or they're just freshmen and, you know, in the competition of certain matchups. The same thing. Micah Sheets was very good, you know, against similar caliber talent. When she had to play somebody that was longer and more athletic, the Vandys, the Tennessee, and this is a hard matchup for anybody. I'm just not picking on Micah. But it was hard for her to get her shot off. How will, you know, a, a Courtney Moore, how will she be able to get, you know, her shot off? You know, how will Abby Carrington, will she be able to do anything? What about Ja'Kai Davis? I mean, she's always been probably bigger than everybody she's played against, even in AAU. Well, now you go up against a Tennessee and a Vandy, you know, she might be smaller. She's going to be more. Not as athletic. Well, how does that match up? Hopefully some of these players that have been in those games before, in a tight game with Tennessee last year as well, can kind of help some of those players. So I think it's an advantage that some of the players played out of position last year because now it could be an in-position situation for Amaya Adams. I think, you know, it gives them similar what we talked about the men. It gives options. 
you know, can Elise Stafford, depending on the situation, play a five? Absolutely. Is that uh, desirable? No, but depending on a matchup, she could play the five position. She could play the two. She could play anywhere in between that you needed her to play. I think Jasmine Sanders is another one that could play the two, three, or four. So I like the, the depth of this team. And when I was writing down, I wrote down two different lineups, okay. and they're going to sound similar. I think Kyle Upton at the one. I think Amaya Adams has to be in a lineup somewhere. Then you could either go Jasmine Sanders, Elise Stafford, Shania Jackson. You could leave Sanders on the bench and go Upton, Adams, Stafford, Shania Jackson, and Ja'Kia Davis. And then you get you know Davis at the five and then maybe Jackson at the four. And there's still some talented people that aren't on the floor yet in the Carly Hooks you're looking at. Uh, like I mentioned, Courtney um, Moore, and then uh, Makai Dowdell, uh, who's another one that, that could see time. And I think those are maybe the ten players. And I'm not saying that you know Kelly Post isn't going to get in there, or Abby Carrington, or Amani um, Williams, who who looked great, I thought, in in the scrimmage and, and watched her individual workouts. So certainly she, her strength could get her in at a four or five position, even though she might not be the tallest. She plays bigger and stronger, and so. I, I think the, there's certainly a lot more depth in combinations because I think, Coach, at the end of our, our – I um, uh, almost said game time tour. <laughs> That's not the right thing. At, at the end of our Facebook Live uh, 2020 preview show, brought to you by John City High and John City, uh, we were able to, to talk to her off air, and she said, what's your starting five? And me and you had different starting fives. She said, well, me and the, the other two assistants had different starting <laughs> So that's that. five different starting fives right. there. But, but to me, that, that's, a, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I could see in some years where it's bad because you're, you're desperately trying to find somebody. This wasn't that. It was like, right. okay, I've got maybe too many people, so somebody's going to have to figure out how to come off the bench. I think that's a good thing. And I think they've definitely got um, a, some talent, some depth. I don't think there's going to be a lot of drop-off. The question is – you know, will people focus in on Stafford? Where last year, I think, uh, you know, obviously early was Eric Haynes Overton, then it turned into Micah Sheets. Now is it Stafford's turn? How are they, you know, how's Stafford going to handle it if she does that? Jasmine Sanders, I think, could obviously pick up the scoring. I think Shania Jackson, they've slowed her down, and she looked tremendous. You know, she, she wasn't Speedy Gonzalez when she got the ball. She was able to catch, breathe with the ball, which I think is important. And she was able to score a lot with that. Ja'Kai Davis has some, some skill. As a freshman, I think, again, you can't teach, and she's 6'3", uh, and knows how to play. I think that was the most impressive part for me. And Courtney, you score 2,000 points, Courtney yeah. Moore. I mean, you, you, you can't tell me she's going to forget how to shoot when she gets here, but can she get her shot off, right? The speed of the game, is she going to figure out, you know, where maybe she had the opportunity to where if she didn't hit a few shots early, um, you know, to start cranking um, at will to get going when out in the college game, it may not be the situation. You know, you may not get five or six shots to figure it out. Can you – get going early i think free throw shooting will be another advantage for etsu women's basketball again this year it was last year if i'm not mistaken but i think shania jackson her maturation process through the end of last year was the one i was impressed with because she seemed to really start to figure it out and now they slowed her down i think she is going to be even better and having stafford play more of a true wing in some of these combinations because she can go inside she can go out certainly she's a little bit streaky but for the most part, she was the most consistent scorer last year. So, I, if you can't tell, I'm pretty excited. And the truth is, the Southern Conference women's basketball, because there's less games, there seems to be, you know, if they had four more games and two more opponents, I think there would be more separation in the standings. But because there's not, there's only a couple of games every year that separate, it seems like, two through six. And so, if you can swing four wins and, and four or five wins, then you can very easily get to a two or three seed. You know, you swing six or seven, you got a shot or eight, unless unless somebody runs uh, rump shot through the league, which last year they didn't. Previous years they have, but if you don't have somebody have one or two losses or go undefeated, then if you could pick up six wins, seven wins more, you got a shot at actually winning the league this year, and it's not too far fetched to say. Got lots of thoughts. Let me try and narrow them down to one or two cogent ones here. I think Kai Upton is undoubtedly the point guard. There's no doubt about that heart and soul, I think, now of this team. Her, Shania Jackson, and Micaiah Dowdell have really stepped up as leaders. Upton, 55 minutes of the game last year, most across any NCAA level, uh, played like 36 minutes a game of 40 possible, right? I mean, that's 90% of the time that you're out there. Um, she's a warrior. She is going to lead by example. She's not always going to give you 10, 12 points a night. 
She's not always going to go five of eight from the field. Sometimes it'll be a 0 of six. You know, we've seen that, right? She's not the most efficient offensive player when it comes to scoring the basketball. She doesn't need to be on this team. She may have needed to be last year, and, and she wasn't able to because of, you know, a lot of different things. I think the fact that there was a lot asked of her, I think the fact that she was just having to be on the court so much, the fact that there were different roles and she's, you know, comfortable in that role where she is the facilitator. Um, I think she had to carry more of the offensive load than maybe she is comfortable with last year. Uh, and, and she's going to be improved offensively, too. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think instead of being that five or six point per game person, she could be seven, eight, maybe nine this year. She's been working on her shot. That's something that she has consistently tried to better. She hasn't been a great outside shooter. A lot more of those are going in during this preseason. So I think that she is going to be someone you can rely on a little more if you need to. But I don't think she needs to this year because you do have the scoring options. I, I see a roster of Elise Stafford, who was a double-digit scorer last year, Average almost 13 points per game in conference play. Chenaya Jackson, who's someone that was top uh, five in the league in a couple of different categories during league play. Her and Elise got so much better last year once league play came around, and I think that they're just going to continue that ascension this year. Uh, and then you've got Jasmine Sanders, who uh, I think on a given day can drop 20. And that could be in like 15 or 16 minutes. <laughs> like she, Once that shot goes in once, that high-arcing rainbow three that she shoots, then there's no stopping her. But she's not just a shooter. She can go inside, too. She can score from different levels. Um, she's long, lanky, athletic, but also you know polished in terms of how she uses those skills. Then you've got Makaya Dowdell. I know she was kind of a postscript for years. I think that she's going to play a lot of minutes this year. And she's someone that can just bowl people out of the way. She is a, uh, a bulldog, a bulldozer. Every bull is, is just the word I like to use to describe her because she – goes in with aggressiveness and uses her strength. She's so solidly built. Uh, she can take up space down low, clear people out, grab rebounds, get putbacks. But she can also shoot outside a little bit. She's got some finesse to her game. You had Amaya Adams in both your lineups. I think she's going to come off the benches here. That's really where you and me have um, disagreed, I think, in the starting lineup. I, I don't know who's going to play the two, quite honestly. I think it could be any of four or five people. So I don't blame you for putting Amaya Adams in there. I think Amani Williams, who's 5'11 and, and doesn't really have the game of a two, isn't that isn't that score right now? But she does so many other things. Could you slide Elise Stafford up to the two and put Amani at the three, Shania at the four, and Ja'Kaya Davis at the five? Um, if you're going to play someone like Courtney Moore, because you know we were talking about freshmen with Coach, and Courtney was someone on my, my list of people that I liked. I hadn't brought her up, and she's like, well, guys, you're forgetting about Courtney Moore. <laughs> like, that was someone she made sure to point out. Like you said, 2,000 points in high school, back-to-back -back Gainesville Sun, player of the year, uh, and there's some good basketball down there. Don't, don't, uh, don't have any second thoughts about that. So is Courtney Moore someone where if you need some offense, are you going to start her maybe? I'm not sure she's quite in a starter's capacity yet. So I think she's someone, again, much like Jasmine. Can those be your two scorers off the bench? You know, uh, Kelly Post is not someone I see scoring a lot, but she's another great bench piece to come in and give you hard quality minutes and be the glue of a unit. Um, I think Ja'Kaya Davis is a sure thing at the five. I, I think if you put her in there on day one, uh, I think she's got the potential to be freshman of the year. Um, so in terms of the two, I think Carly Hooks is somebody that could play. They really like the speed she brings. She likes to get up and down the floor. She's not necessarily the polished scorer now, but they liken her a bit to Erica Haynes-Overton, who we already mentioned, in the fact that she's got quick hands. She can take the ball away. Um, she's got the speed to kind of outrace everybody to the other end. She's not polished yet, as Erica wasn't early in her career but she's a hard worker. Uh, she's got all the tools. Her game's going to come along. So I think there's a lot of options in the two. Abby Carrington could be somebody that, if they uh, are in a pinch, I think could come in and, and start as well. So there's four or five options at the two, whether it's Amani, uh, Carly, um, outside shot, I'd say, for Abby Carrington and Courtney Moore, or is it Amaya Adams, or do you slide at least Stafford to the two and play a bigger lineup? And if you're not going to play Ja'Kaya Davis in the starting lineup, is Shania Jackson your five again, where she can stretch the defense, step outside, hit the long-range shot? And then at the four, do you put, say, a Micaiah Dowdell? Is Micaiah Dowdell the starter, that other starter that we don't know yet? And then is it, um, you know, do you have Elise Stafford at the three again, or is that the two? So there's lots of unanswered questions. We're going to know those answers on Saturday. Uh, Coach Azell is going to join us on the pregame show, um, 2.30. 
on the Buccaneer Sports Network, 3 o'clock tip from Longwood. I'm going to be wearing both a mask and a face shield because that's what they mandate at Longwood. So a uh, strange, different year. Uh, the dual face coverings is how I'm going to be rolling through that broadcast. We'll see how it sounds. I, and I'm <laughs> expecting a report because I've not been. This is one of the few, mm. you know, I, 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 there's plenty of schools I've not been to, but this is one of them that's fairly within the region, if you will, that, that I've not been to. So I'm actually looking forward to hearing the report of uh, what it's like there. So along with the team, this is going to be an interesting matchup because they've got four of their top five scores back from last year, and those are the only five that had averaged more than four points a game. So four of those five are back, including uh, Kyla McMakin, who averaged 19 per contest as a freshman, big South freshman of the year last year. Uh, they, d- they really didn't have a ton of depth last year either. They've only got 12 on the roster again this season. They struggled defensively like ETSU struggled defensively a bit. The Bucks averaged 69 per game against them, which is a pretty high number. That's exactly what Longwood averaged, too. Just for frame of reference, 69 per contest is also what the Bucks averaged giving up in conference play. That was six more than any other team. So they struggled on the defensive end as well. I'm not so much worried about offensively this year. I think defensively is where I want to see strides, and I think they have – the people to be able to do that, whether it's Kelly Post, whether it's Monty Williams, whether it's Carly Hooks, you know, those are people I think you can count on Micaiah Dowdell defensively. Um, there's going to be, I'm not sure there's a lot of players on this team right now that have the complete game, quote unquote. I think there's players that are best on one end, players that are best on another, and those don't often happen to overlap. So I'm more worried about defensively, but that's been Longwood's issue too. Considering they only have 12 on the roster this year, how is their depth going to look? How are they going to get through a 40-minute game considering they only have 12, considering they haven't been um, in too many contests? Now, they do play Duke on Wednesday. Uh, so they're going to be, I, I think, really pushed up and down the floor uh, by the Blue Devils. And so three days later, can they turn it around and put forth a good effort? Uh, I'm very curious to see. 12-18 and 18 last year in, uh, overall, 8-12 and 12 in the Big South was Longwood. So it's not a team that has had a tremendous level of success in the past. I think it's a team that is on the upswing with four of their top five scorers back. I think ETSU, from the outside, a lot of people would look at the Bucks and say a lot of the same things, right? Struggle defensively, not a lot of proven depth. Are they a team that is ready to take steps considering they have four of their five starters back? People haven't seen them like we've seen them. I think we're a bit more optimistic than most. Uh, I can tell you I voted them third in the preseason coaches poll or uh, media poll. Everyone else uh, had them. The average was seventh. So I'm much higher on them than most others are, and I guess that's probably why you don't usually have, or in some polls, you don't have the ability to vote for the team that you cover. But having seen them up close, it's not because I work for ETSU. It's not because you know I've got blue and gold on the chest. It's because I really think this team can take big strides going through the rest of the league. There's a lot else that's gone from other teams. I think there's some talent that comes in in Micaiah Dowdell and Jasmine Sanders that sat out last year after transferring. I think the freshman class is going to infuse some energy, and plus they have the experience back with Kaya, Shania, Elise, and Amaya. So I'm excited for this team. Uh, I'm excited to see what they bring on Saturday. The next game after that is University of Tennessee. <laughs> that's in eight days. That's four days after that game against Longwood. So and then, and then Vandy, I mean, still back-to-back. Back. And then Vandy, and then after that you've got, okay, it's maybe a little bit more of a Longwood-type opponent in Presbyterian, another 12-win Big South side. But then after that it's Davidson. <laughs> so there's a lot of challenges in this non-conference schedule per the usual in terms of Coach Ellen and the slate that she puts together for her young women. But Saturday's a big one because, again, much like for the men with Abilene Christian, the measuring stick will be out. I think there's going to be, you said 10 people that can play. I think I see 12 right now. The only one that I think is maybe a bit behind where they'd like her to be is Deshante Brown, and that's only because she's been injured, been dealing with a knee injury, um, and has had to have a couple of shots in that knee. She, she's struggling there, uh, but someone that's very able as well. So it's anyone's guess who's going to be in the starting lineup. It's anyone's guess who's going to get the lion's share of the minutes. What we can count on, I think, are the three we talked about, Kaya, Shania, Elise. Uh, we know that they're going to be there as the solid core, and then you've got Amaya, Jakaya, Makaya, some others. You can also count on Mike Gallagher, hey. 2.30 pregame show, ETSU Women's Basketball, Saturday versus the Lancers of Longwood. We'll have that for you on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Atmos Energy pregame show and the Buccaneer Sports Network this year brought to you by Home Trust Bank. Wow. Look at that. you got to keep reminding me of that. Home Trust Bank. <laughs> All right, what's up, Zach, for a town? What do we got next? Bold. Oh, bold prediction. Bold prediction. After this, I'm out to work, town sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Somewhere out there, a math teacher's school loans were forgiven, allowing her to focus on paying it forward, not back. Somewhere out there, a parent is breathing easier, knowing their child's college education will close to.
Fantasy Education Lottery. Game-changing, life-changing fun. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to a month out, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. Do you really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. Now, hold on a second. I think those sound a bit dated. Those yeah, don't really ring a bell anymore. No. Okay, hold on. Ha! Tom Brady won't make that mistake again. Antonio Brown to Tampa. Absolutely not going to happen. Clay Thompson, comeback player of the year. This is it. Calling it right now. The season Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan to the national championship. Well, there's just no doubt the Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020. Wake Forest, capital L-O-L. Steve Forbes most certainly will be back hooking in the blue and gold. Jay Sandoz will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during quarantine. <laughs> bold predictions. Uh, 30. Oh, wow. 30 was a bit bold. <laughs> Those are some bold predictions. We haven't stopped oh. making bold predictions just because we haven't been on the air. I mean, those are real live clips of predictions that we've made at one time or another. Shocking, to say the least. A bit off base, some could say. But they were no doubt bold. And I think that is the hallmark of this segment. Yes, some of our predictions may be a bit off base. Most of them end up being wrong. Last year you had 25 right out of like 105. I had 22 right out of, I think, a similar number. That's a pretty good percentage. But all of them end up being bold. Do you want to start or do you want uh, – Yeah, I mean, as, as the defending champion, usually I defer. But I'll, I'll go ahead and, and get bold off the bat. The New York Jets will get off the schneid at home and they will get their mm-hmm. first win of the season versus your Miami Dolphins. My Miami Dolphins? Yeah, you've, you've now, hold on. Didn't we talk about, on Friday's show, how Ryan Fitzpatrick is your guy? He's the guy that finished Again, the game and the quarterback. If they, the would, start, if they would start Fitzmagic for the whole game, then, uh, you know, clearly they would not what get What are they doing, by the way? I, I mean, don't I don't know. understand why, why do you, they took why do you out been, yes. Fitzpatrick in the first place, but then they take out two, I just And then you're going back to Tua. It makes, again, it makes no sense. It was a – I'm a – yes, uh – Everyone knows I like the chest hair of Fitzpatrick and would uh, pull for the Dolphins nonstop if it was Fitzmagic. Are you going on Adam Gase revenge tour or what's Jets over Miami? What, uh, I'm just going Frank Gore's not going to go out like that. His quote, not mine. So at some point they got to get a win, and I'm looking at schedule, and there's not many chances. And it's at home, so I'm going to Poor Frank go. Gore does deserve better. No okay. Uh, okay, if we're going to do NFL ones first, I've got a couple ETSU ones, but – Two of the top three scoring defenses meet in Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving night, allowing just 37 points per game combined, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. There will be 20 or more than that scored in that game, 57 or more between Baltimore and Pittsburgh. I almost went out on the limb and said, for whatever reason, 75 points or more between the Cowboys and the Washington football team. We haven't talked about the Washington football team either. We I'm not sure not. we can touch on it a ton. But the Washington football team and the Cowboys being 75 or more, I, I think that may be a bit more bold. I felt a bit crazy looking at that prediction, considering Alex Smith and Andy Dalton doesn't exactly scream 75 points per game. No. But decided to shift it. 57 or more, Pittsburgh and Baltimore on Thursday night. All right. I'm going to go college football. The Vanderbilt Commodores. I thought about going Jared Gantano would throw more touchdown passes to his own team as a bold prediction. Wow. But I'm going to go with Vanderbilt with the upset. Uh, it appears, I could be wrong, but it appears the volunteers have somewhat packed it in. I could hear all the Tennessee fans listening to this closing the tab that they're listening on. <laughs> I would say most probably agree with me. <laughs> I, well, and I'll, I'll yeah, say, I, I'll say they this. They over, don't they? As, as, and, and, again, my, my, my team is horrific and finally <laughs> made – and, Your right. prediction right. is even more horrific than the team itself. Right, right. It, yes, was, but at least they made the change at quarterback finally and appears are going to stick with it where 
for whatever reason, Tennessee won't roll the dice and say, well, let's just try something new and stick with something new. Your team, of course, being Michigan. And just to confirm, you were not down 30 pounds, is that right? I'm not down oh, Okay, I thought the bold prediction might have had. Okay. Uh, a freshman leads the ETSU women in scoring Saturday. And considering that there's a lot of scoring back for the ETSU women, Elise Stafford, Shania Jackson, as we talked about being the main ones, Kaya Upton, who has been known to throw a double-digit scoring effort on the board, Amaya Adams, who put 13 points up in the home finale last year against Mercer. I think it's bold, but you know how high I am on this freshman class, and I think that shows it. I'm putting some trust in them. A freshman leads the ETSU women in scoring Saturday against Longwood in Farmville, Virginia. I'm going to go men's basketball because you, I, I was listening to you earlier today, and you're, you're trying to count out points, and we've tried to count out points, and we're trying to figure out where everything's coming from. We have really mapped it up. So Not good I, for you and me. No, because we have math. Is, but, yeah. uh, I'm going to go ETSU men's basketball. We'll average 75 or more, so 75.0 or more for the three games down at the tournament. So people that are listening and do not know the makeup of this team, should they be concerned that you think 75 is bold? Uh, I think early. Uh, that doesn't mean late people won't figure it out, but I'm just thinking early. The obvious things are offensively, you know, will guys make the extra pass? You know, who will the scoring come from? Will people understand roles, right? That's the one thing. Last year's team, everyone sort of knew their role coming into it. So I think that's the, the issue is where does the basketball stop and will people figure that out? Will they trust one another? I think that's the biggest thing. Last year that was a key word with a lot of guys in our postgame chats and you know they had eight different scores I think or eight guys that were tied at one point to be the leading score and all of it talked about we trust that guy's going to hit it or if that guy's hot we know to get him the ball. Will there not be point envy, shot envy that sometimes happens on basketball teams? Will everyone understand a role and just want to win and move the ball around to get to that total. So I think late in the season it may not be bold. I'm just going these first three games. I think this is bold but fair. The Brewer brothers are going to combine to score over 100 points in the Gulf Coast Showcase. So that means that if they play three games, they need to average combined 34-ish, 33 to 34 points per game between them. Which Yeah, that's a good one there. 100 felt like the number. Very square, right on, it's round, it makes sense. Uh, but also you look at the averages and say, okay, well, if Ty has an off game, well, Ladarius could go for 25. If it's 25 and 9, or if it's very evenly split and it's 17 and 17, whatever the case may be, I think the Brewer brothers are who they need to lean on a lot early in the season, as I mentioned during our preview of ETSU men's basketball. And so 100 points. Now, do we revert to 34 points per game if they don't get to play three games? Yeah, I think, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or do I just get a push? Do I get a tie early on? Tie well, I mean, it, I, I think it's similar. ETSU only played one basketball game and scored 78. That would count. So I would assume if they combined for 40 that game, that would count yeah. as well. Yeah, we can revisit that. I don't know if yours is the same. Of course you did. <laughs> of, course, of course you did. All right, now don't forget, again, because the holiday, because travel, assuming travel, assuming games are going to be played, we're not going to do a Friday show. Again, we could come back on uh, later today and do a full update on something else for 15 minutes. Or, or we could just do something on Friday. I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see. Right now, I'm uh, planning on getting on a plane on Tuesday and the game 11 a.m. Wednesday, the first of three, we hope. And then you're going to be Saturday in uh, Farmville, Virginia, as in, the Longwood Lancer. In your travels, Jay Sandos, Godspeed and good luck. Yeah, you too, because we all know Virginia will write you a ticket uh, going one mile an hour over. I've proven and I know that, that time we and time again. Game after that ticket, judging by That's your true. Experience. That's right. Don't do that. All right, we'll be back next week. Uh, bowl prediction recaps where I'll win and Mike loses. Fuck it here. Sports Network.